0: Hi, this is Robert Kiyosaki and you're listening to Entrepreneur
1: Circle, Eric Cabral.
0: On this episode.
1: Three things I think you have to prepare before you leave your job. And I stumbled into these, but then figured out after so I create this framework. And so that you can build your side hustle or your business. That to me is the three C's, clarity, confidence, community, are the foundations of being able to get yourself out and then leverage that W-2 to hire out everything that's below, say, 100 or 200 or $500 tasks per hour.
0: Hey there, folks, and welcome to the Entrepreneur Circle, where we built a community that shares lessons learned throughout our journeys, celebrate wins, our eureka moments, and embrace the F word, meaning failure. Which I've come to realize that failure is success in progress. I'm Eric Cabral, your host, a husband, a father of two brilliant girls, and I've been called a heart-centered entrepreneur by my peers and mentors. My mission in life is to make the world a better place one mic at a time. So I'm happy and humble to have you join in on that mission. And I hope that by the end of the show, we would have added value in your life. So if you're ready to jump into the circle, let's get to it. Hey. I'm so glad you're here because I don't often get the opportunity to share with you exactly what I do and what we do here at On Air Brands. So we help the folks in our community and our clients to launch a podcast and then produce them on a weekly basis. We also help to promote each episode with close to a dozen social media posts that consist of quote cards, sound bites, and video clips. And then we post them for you on your socials automatically. So if you're a business owner with a ton on your plate, and a podcast just seems super overwhelming, I get it. We don't need one more thing to worry about. So let me and my team at On Air Brands do the heavy lifting each week so that you can focus on what you do best, which is to build your business, have more time to pour into your family and your community, or just plain chill and recharge. So feel free to email me at eric at On Air Brands so that we can book time together to chat about how we can align with your mission and how you can align with ours, which is to make the world better one mic at a time. Now back to the show. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of The Entrepreneur Circle. I'm your most happy and to host. As usual, I have a guest who I can't even really typically call a guest because he, yes, a guest on the show, but I've known him for a very long time. I call him a friend. Uh, I call him a brother. Uh, I call him a lot of different things. Um, but we're going to get into it today. First off with Jamie Gruber, brother. Welcome to the show. Good to see you, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, this is a long time in the making. Uh, we've exchanged shows. I've been on your show, and and we we've been in pods together. We do all sorts of things together. And I'm like, man, how come you haven't been on my show? Shame on me. Uh, I wasn't so big enough. I, wasn't, I, wasn't at the,
1: <laughs> I wasn't at the Eric Cabral level, right? Like you've got, oh you've got sort of, you know, like there's base level. There's you know going up to that step where you're sort of somewhat relevant. Then you get into, like, the stratosphere of, like, The Rock, Cristiano Ronaldo, and then maybe, maybe, if we can get past that level, which maybe I am now. This must mean... This, this right, is going to be a Hart? fun
0: show, guys. You can see, this is, Jamie. one of Jamie, Jamie's superpowers is ribbing. Uh, he's so good at it, and he does it in a way, as you can see, so masterful at it because it's also a compliment.
1: You, you uh, just revealed but, that you're over 50 to me earlier by telling me that, <laughs> and now you double down by using the word ribbing. That's unbelievable.
0: <laughs>
1: What's the yeah. common
0: millennial Gen Z word? Ball, ball, ball busting. busting. Okay. I mean, busting. Dude, balls. I even you... think that's old.
1: That's probably old. Uh, just uh,
0: go. But, but let's go ask some twenty-something. But it's
1: so old that it's new. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like it got, it got, it got yeah. like vilified. It is some back. sort of like feminist rant thing. I don't know. And now it's back. In like defiance of whatever pc has been there for the last 18 or so years. So oh, it was ball busting. It's like, well, that's not appropriate. So we had to call it ribbing, apparently. Somewhere in the 80s, I'm guessing it's your generation. Okay. And then okay. we come back now with ball busting. Ball b- okay, PC- it's back. Uh, wokeness I'm happy aside. to hear. Yes.
0: it's. I'm happy it's it's back. Uh, I'll, I'll start. I apologize. I'm going to use ball busting. Uh, yeah, I didn't know ribbing. that it made
1: a comeback, sounds like, well, is ribbing is like It sounds like something uh, you get at McDonald's once every three years, you know? Like, <laughs> you get a ribbing.
0: Dude, I, it's funny we say these words and we don't even really think about the origin, but I can only imagine, you know, like you're sitting in the passenger uh, the back seat of a car and somebody's busting balls and then you're hitting them with your elbow, right? Into their oh. ribs. Is that how it came
1: to be? Maybe, but I, I got to give you a ball-related saying that was really interesting especially when i was in corporate america Have you ever heard the phrase balls to the wall yeah okay so do you know what the what that means what does balls to the wall mean like when somebody says that what are they saying
0: i I imagine you're facing a
1: wall or you're back no 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 no, no, no. i mean like what does it mean like when you say oh man we're balls to the wall yeah you're under pressure okay yeah, you're going yeah. right. With Balls to the wall. We're all right. out, right? So yeah. now, now, what is the physical? Like, what do you believe? Like, when, when you say, okay, well, why is it called balls to the wall? What are you? What is your? What's your theory?
0: Like I said, you know, you're up against the wall. Uh, not necessarily your balls to the wall, but maybe your back to the wall. That, that that's I get. Well, that then you would
1: call it back to the wall, Eric. That's the saying. That's the saying. Yeah. right. Your back is to that the wall. That is true. Here's your back is what's to the wall. interesting. Yeah. Balls to the wall is an aeronautic term. It's an aviation term. And here's how I know this. In my hmm. corporate gig, right, I was a director. So I had all these, organi- all these, you know, these layers and layers. And one of the supervisors in my organization sent a note uh, up through the chain about an, about an initiative we had at that moment. And, and he was excited. He's like, yeah, we're balls to the wall. He says this in an email. And one of the employees, the snowflake in his organization, messages me offended by balls to the wall. And immediately I went to fuck you, right? That was my first thought, but I'm like, okay, I'm in a corporate environment. I got to figure out but I'm like, what does this even mean? I, I, like literally, I, here's a wall here. Like if you stand with your balls on the wall, like if I stood there, like shifted my pelvis so that my balls were literally on the wall, I'm thinking like, how does this mean I'm going all out? How does it mean I'm going all out? Does it doesn't make any sense to me. So I Google it. So you've seen Top Gun. <laughs> right. The real one with the greased up guys, right? The first one. Yeah. Yeah. The first one. Okay. In that movie, I I know why I've seen it so many times. There's a, there's a, um, there's a scene where somebody says. Volleyball. No, but now in a different, stop with the balls. Let me figure, let me use the balls. This is (laughs) me. Balls are on me and on the wall. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a scene where it says like Maverick has the ball and then he goes, Roger ball. So the ball is the throttle in an airplane and it goes forward, and it goes backward. <sighs> forward is fast. Back is slower. The ball is to the wall means the ball is all the way, all the way forward, meaning the jet is full out. So ball is to the oh. wall. Ball apostrophe S to the wall is what balls to the wall and why it means going really, really fast. So I replied to this. I loved it. I replied to this person and the HR person, they copied out this whole thing. Like, I always knew that. I replied like, I don't understand what's offensive here. What are you offended by? Ball. wall. So I'm like, well, I think you're seeing this in a very different way than what it's meant. Here's what it means. Like I made it like I always mm. knew this. Like I, like I flew, like I flew missions in fucking Desert Storm or something. Like I always knew what that term was. Right. <laughs> so I replied just like, hey, whatever, completely, completely destroyed this person. I loved every second of it. So that's my ball story. Balls to the wall for anybody listening who didn't know what that meant. It is not offensive. Put it in an email to your boss, and when they say to you, "Oh my, oh, we have to have a chat," say about what I love planes, balls to the wall. They can't get you in trouble. My hack, my hacking, guys, how you can fuck over your boss. You, you,
0: you're in for a show here. You, you you're obviously <laughs> getting uh, a very good example of what you're in for and what you're committed to over the next. Yeah, uh, I got to do a real 56 on that, minutes. I talk a lot about quitting your job. I got to do a reel on balls Dude, I love to the it. wall. Can you do that story? One? please do one on this. Mm. Uh, and, and I, I will get us back on track here in a second. I know you, 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 you took the wheel and I'm like, dude, uh, how are you sitting on my lap right now? But here's the ball I the, and, you, I took pushed the ball the and you push it to the wall. Yes, But dude, here, how, tell us how, because I literally went through this, uh, with my brother-in-law. He got an email. He sent, he sent out an email to his, he's, he's still in corporate actually working for the government. An email that says, Hey guys, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm out of pocket, but you know, if you need to reach me. He gets an email response from someone on the team that says, hey, you know that guys is a microaggression and, and it gives him a whole diatribe on why guys is inappropriate and that people will be offended by that. Yeah. that. Dude, I see balls to the wall offending people, but people are offended by the word guys now. So I'm like, wow. Yeah, this is where we're yeah. at. This is how, how sensitive
1: yeah. we are now. It's not inclusive, Eric. It's-
0: yeah. Oh my goodness. But yeah. Yeah. And that's been used for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, if someone calls me Oriental, I still won't get uh, offended by that. <laughs> like a rug. You know how, I love yeah, it. Yeah. You know how expensive <laughs> those rugs are. That's my, that's my thing. You ever yeah. see how expensive, Yeah. but anyway, yeah. guys, for those who don't know who Jamie is, uh, y- you should know him as a real estate guy. Um, he speaks on many stages. Uh, he's, he's, he's built uh, quite an impressive portfolio himself. Um, he is the host of the Tribe of Millionaires podcast. Uh, he's world famous, I like to say, as a result, because that group is international. Uh, so much respect there. He's, as you can see, he embedded some through the story there. He's a former W-2 guy. Yeah. Uh, but I know him as a super connector. He's a great facilitator. You've emceed some of my events. Um, you know, you, you've you done a wonderful job on stages, um, not just Coabundance, just other events. You know, I've seen you speak at. You're a great orator, communicator. Just just know how to unpack and go deep with people, which I truly, truly get inspired by when I listen and watch you and your craft and how you've evolved over the years. Because the first time I met you, we were at a, a multifamily summit event and we were both on a panel and I was like, oh, this guy, and we're like cut from the same cloth. Like we have the similar backgrounds in marketing yeah. and uh, getting into real estate and having our issues. Like, you know, you shared with me how to, how to get over like our, my, my, my challenges with, with money psychologically. We both approach things very similarly. Uh, but I see you evolve and I see you. Transcending way beyond, and you—you gave me a compliment, but I'm going to give you that right back. Um, You're—you're—you're getting out of the stratosphere, like you—you are reaching a level where I'm looking up and I'm like, whoa, dude! uh, Now I need to give—I need some advice. Like you're—you're doing a really great job. I just want to commend you on what you've been doing and what you've been building, and um, the brand that is ridiculously respectful. Um, so, congrats, dude! And I'm happy to to jam into here, man. We're gonna get no, into it. No, thank you. That's yeah. wow.
1: That was uh, that was <laughs> the nicest intro I've ever gotten. But honestly, I, I mean, we you know we chat every other week at a minimum. So, I appreciate uh, I appreciate it coming from you, especially.
0: Yeah, absolutely, brother, absolutely, man. So, yeah let's let's get into it. Let's let's jump into the first question of the show, um, and then we'll take it from there. But you, the eureka moment in your life that caused you to to make
1: a major pivot or change. Yeah, that's definitely quitting my job. Context. I'm a corporate exec making about 400 grand a year that was including uh what are called restricted stock units. Every year I'd get a, a, a an equity award. That equity award each year would vest 5 years later fully. It would vest a little bit each year, but 5 years. So every year you get this big award, but that award for that year you're not going to get it all for 5 years. So it's that that golden handcuff, that fishing line that's out in front of you, you're always chasing it. So it made a lot of money. My wife doesn't work, didn't work. Two young boys uh, at the, well, two young boys. And I was in this, this career, this position, this, this company, Progressive Insurance, people have heard of it, for 21 years. Uh, the last four or five uh, of it was at this level, you know, the dream job that I thought I wanted. But when I got that dream job, it was an attempt to validate myself externally uh, by this job being the thing that was going to fill up whatever felt empty in me. I knew something felt empty. I didn't know what, and I thought, you know what? I'm not at the level I want to be at. I see all these other people, maybe at the year 10 or 12, like way ahead of me getting there. Like, why am I not? That's what it is. I need to get there. And then I hated it. Not the job, not the company, but for me, it wasn't a fit. The company's fine. The job is fine, whatever. But for me, it wasn't a fit. And again, I had great staying power 21 years with this company. So I started down the real estate path, single family, couple duplexes um, that flipped over into some multifamily stuff. And, you know, we can go into that in a little bit. But at a point at which I felt like I was getting close, like, you know what, I, man, this job, it's, it's become, becoming soul sucking. The things I'm doing outside of my job around real estate and at the time I was starting to build my brand were really, really fulfilling. And I was starting to see even changes in people that I worked with on my side hustle, you know, from a, a, you know, coaching, not directly one-on-one, but like group coaching or the content I was putting out, I was getting this like feedback about how they were getting value from what I was doing. And that just felt really good. While over here, this job felt really heavy. So I made a trip to Florida with my family. We were doing a month in the pandemic. I still had my job, but my boss, you know, even though we had our differences, uh, she was like, "Yeah, hey, go enjoy." You know, pandemic really gave everybody perspective, even even a cold hearted human being like my old boss. So we went down to to Florida. My wife and kids flew. I drove and a couple days to think. You know, driving down, I had dogs and toys, nobody to talk to, so started thinking and everything. And I was really close. I was there. I was like, I, I was, I was, I was. You know, I think I could do this. And for context, I was like, all right. I don't take any passive income, but if I did, I think I can make up about three, four grand a month. And I got about 100 grand saved, 120 grand saved. So that's my runway. And I got these things I'm building. I really believe in it. My expenses are more than this $4,000 a month in passive income that I could pull out of my, my properties. But man, I think, why not take a shot? Kind of where my head was. So I was mostly there. The eureka moment happened when I got south of St. Augustine, Florida, I met with Gino Barbaro, went to his house and had lunch on the way down, you know, guy I knew from being his mastermind. And halfway down, halfway through there, as I'm, as I'm kind of getting myself maybe with the idea that maybe I should, maybe I could, I get a phone call from a guy named Bob that I worked with in Boston uh, for Progressive. This was on a Saturday. Bob, I, I have not talked. Like, I, this guy doesn't call me. So I'm like, this is weird. So he calls me. He's like, hey, I, I, wanted, a, I wanted to give you a call because um, I know you worked with him. Um, Paul. And Paul was a guy that I looked up to. He was an executive level guy who actually took a demotion to as I left New England and went to Michigan just because his boss was a, was, a, <laughs> was a pain in the ass. But super smart guy, super fit, driven, 49 years old, 48 years old, two, week, two boys, you know, very, a lot of similarities. Had some chest pain the night before, went into the hospital, never came out. And in that moment, I'll, I'll, I'll share like, I'm going to try to do this shortly because I know I'm rambling, but I'll share this like what sounds like a lot, but it happened like that. In that moment, Caught my eyes in the, in the rearview mirror. And for some reason, this whole thing, like in two seconds, flashed through me of what that must have been like for his wife, for his kids, for him, and the, the normalcy leading up to it and then the complete shift in normalcy after it. Here's what I mean. On Thursday, Friday morning, before he ends up passing, I've just – he's at work. Yeah, Maybe he has some discomfort. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't, right. like just something seems a little off indigestion. Who knows what goes to lunch, comes back still a little bit uncomfortable, you know, whatever wife and him have plans for the weekend. The boys have soccer or karate or whatever it might be. I don't know any of this. I'm making this up in my brain in this min- in this instant gets home and it's, it's just getting worse. Babe, babe, I, I gotta go. I, I'm going to go get checked out or something. Something's off. Yeah. 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 Let's go. Let's take in. Wife takes him to the hospital can imagine her sitting in the lobby, you know, on her phone, waiting for him to come back out, see what it is, you know, maybe needs some rest. Maybe she's pushing off some stuff for the weekend, you know, give him a minute. The doctor comes out, ma'am, I'm so sorry, but your, your husband didn't make it. Done. 48, 49 years old. Done. And I, I, for some reason went into that story. It, it happened in an instant and came back out as me again. And it was, I went from, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do this to in top gun terms, target lock i 'm in mm-hmm. I gotta go, so I got to Florida. we spent the month there, and um i uh, I made the commitment that when I returned from Florida that I was resigning, and I did. I resigned on March twelfth two thousand and one which was twenty one years to the day after I started, so appropriate timing, i guess
0: wow, wow, yeah, talk about uh some reflection self awareness you know forward thinking you um You saw yourself in that light and you related to him very much. Um, you know, most people would just let it pass and not go that deep, you know, and and make a life change like the way you did. Yeah. It it was, dude, dude, it was all
1: at the right time because I had had two days of reflection and clearance. I wasn't on my phone. I wasn't distracted by everything. It wasn't just like a ticker, Mm. a news ticker that went through and out, like, oh, that sucks. Like, there was nothing else to do other than absorb it, you know? So, I, I, you know, mm. I don't, I'm not saying yeah. like, oh, thank God he died and thank God he died when he did or anything like that. But for whatever it yeah. is that was meant to be, and it was also meant to be for him to, uh, for, for that moment to hit me when it did and the moment that it did. And it's interesting. This is two plus years ago. I was just recently challenged. Cause I've said this, I want to talk to his widow. I don't know her. She doesn't know me, but I want to talk to his widow just to make the point, cause I've talked about him from stage. I've, I've done, you know, he's, he's a pivotal, mm. not only in that moment, but prior to that, you know, it's, he's, he wasn't like this highly prominent guy in my life, really, but in certain big moments in my career, he was there. He was a guy that I, I, I confided in, reflected with and all that stuff. And I feel mm. like his wife needs to know that. Not that like, you know, because he died, I have this life. I, it's, that's the hard part for me in calling her. I don't want to come across that way, but that, hey, look, you know, I think about your husband all the time. I talk about your husband all the time. His legacy lives on and it lives on in me and my two boys and making sure that I'm there for mm. them and that I'm living the life that I want them to see as opposed to I know him enough, taking a job and staying in a job because of the quote unquote security and not something that he loved or wanted to necessarily do. He was vilified by his boss and he shouldn't have been. You know, it wasn't an easy thing for him to, to, to do the job he did. And for him to have died without the opportunity to walk away from it, uh, that just scares the hell out of me.
0: Yeah. If that event didn't happen, um, where would you be right now? Like if, if you didn't take that step or there wasn't that moment, that
1: eureka, where would Jamie be today? I think I would still have left at some point. I think I still would have left at some point. It would have delayed things. It would have, and you know, that might not sound like much. Maybe I, maybe it's six months later. Or maybe it's, you know, nine months later. But here's why that's significant to me. Two things. One, I don't know what the next six months hold. What if I'm gone? So if I delayed six months, did I delay something that I was supposed to have mm. done that I've done now six months sooner than I would have had I not quit? And second, y- you don't quit your job, especially when you're when you're embedded in a corporate environment for that long. You don't quit your job, no matter how well you think you're prepared, and figure things out for a while you don't quit your job Mm -hmm. and suddenly like oh i i know exactly you think you do i thought i did like oh i if i don't have this 50 60 hours of commitment i know exactly i'm going to spend my time and it's just not real it's like having kids like oh i know i'm not going to sleep yeah you know that but until you don't sleep and you realize like oh my god I'm not going to sleep tomorrow either or the next day. Like there's no relief when your baby is a baby and they're not sleeping. You can intellectualize that before the baby's there. Mm. but Until you experience it, you have no clue. Same with buying real estate. You can listen to episode one through 700 of Bigger Pockets, but until you buy the house and the sewer line goes, you have no clue. Mm-hmm. You have to experience yeah. it. And it's the same thing with pivoting to entrepreneurship out of a W-2. The first year is like, I don't know, wake up, email some people, go to bed. And somehow money comes in here and there, and you kind of survive. Like, you don't figure out for a while, like, your role, your cadence. So when I moved to the Dominican Republic, it was a year after I quit my job. All of that's delayed. Maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe God knows what, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there's so many variables that have to go in order. And if I didn't do it, then I would have done it, I think, later. I'm pretty sure I would have. But I don't know that I would have what I have in my life today. And, And not that that's a bad thing, but. It would have taken longer and I would have wasted more of my life doing something I didn't want to do. And I had wasted enough.
0: There's something interesting about the W2 mindset and then transitioning over to entrepreneurship and owning your own business, trying to do your own thing, is um, there's a level of accountability that is lost, I think, on, on, on that mindset, you know, where you can you can kind of float through a company especially if you've been there for a long time you you know that you've 100%. got some respect and equity uh, you know within the company and you can kind of like float if you need to dude i there's so many times i would walk past cubicles and there would be people who've been there for decades Playing solitaire, dude. And I'm like, where am I? Like this is feels yeah. like limbo, you know, it doesn't feel right. It feels like people are just waiting to retire and they have no purpose in life. But so when you finally exit, you pull the the ripcord as we did, and you start to look for that purpose and that drive and create some type of legacy can you explain to the people out there who are probably in that boat, right? They're they're in a W-2, some of the things that, hallmarks that you would need in order to like get past those mental barriers, you know, how do you hold yourself accountable? Like, because if you don't work... It's not like someone's going to knock on the cubicle door, or the office door, and be like, hey, where, where's those T- TPS reports? It's like, it's on you. Like, you're that guy who's knocking on the door. <laughs> where's those TPS reports? Because, like, you're not going to put food on the table if you continue doing what you were doing in W-2s.
1: Yeah. Three things, I think, that you have, to, you have to prepare before you leave your job. And I stumbled into these, but then figured out after. So I create this framework, if you will. First thing you need to do is outline your statement of clarity. What is your vision? What is it that you want outcome wise? Not how you're going to get there. That's different. I don't want to hear the steps. I'm going to buy real estate. I'm going to start. No, no, no. What do you want your life to look like? My vision statement distilled down five years ago was I want to travel three months with my family anywhere in the world. And that vision statement alone made it impossible for me to keep my job. My job, uh, we could not log in internationally. We are a U.S.-based-only company, or we were. I was in a U.S.-based-only company. So traveling around the world is at odds with the ability to do so in that job. Even if I found the perfect job within that company, take a step down. And that's a possibility for some people. But even if I did, I could not go internationally and work. So – takes the job out. So clarity is number one. you got to have a vision statement, something compelling and drawing you forward. With that creates a shift in identity, a shift in identity. So your identity is now not where you are, but where you're going. And I really believe that identity starts here, not when you achieve it, but now. And a great example is parenthood. When you are pregnant, your wife is pregnant with, a, with your, your kid, your, say your first kid, you don't have the kids. So you're not technically a parent. Right? But your identity in that moment shifts. Painting the room, you know, uh, four—not uh, four. Okay, five twenty-nine plants. Whatever it is, like you're—you are a parent up here, and then the result lags. In the case of parenting, nine months. Nine months later, that result will lag. When you create this clarity statement, the next thing is going to be your identity shifts. So you need to create confidence in the new identity that you're forging. So clarity first, confidence second. With those two things in place. The next part that you just talked about is 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 the essential, the foundational, the groundwork. You need community. You need a community of people that you're becoming, not that you are right now. If you're hanging out with W2 people, you're going to do W2 shit. If you're going to become an entrepreneur, go find entrepreneurs to hang out with. Pay for it. That's what I did. That's what you did, right? We we were in go abundance. So that community holds me accountable to what I say I'm going to do. That helps me. That's my board of directors. That's my 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 bosses, quote unquote, if you will. So I think those are three really important components. But something you said i want to I want to piggyback on. you really understand in this environment, when you're outside of a day job, the value of an hour for you in a day job, you said, man, I could hide for years if I wanted to, delegate it out. like I didn't have to do anything. like i could I could justify and whatever. Like there's so many different ways that I could I could get around, you know, being productive if I wanted to. When you're out of that job, Your hours have to be dollar productive, whether that means you're putting systems in place or you're on sales calls or whatever it might be, but your hours have to need to be dollar productive. So I think one thing people that are not W or that are W-2 and don't want to be W-2 anymore that they can do that their their W-2 gives them leverage with is hire out everything that you do that is not dollar productive. Somebody says to me all the time, I get this question, well, I got my kid's. I got my, my, my wife, you know, my family, I got those obligations. I got my day job and then I got this side hustle. Like, I I don't know how I can balance the time. And my question is always, are you doing your dishes? Answer is always yes. Yeah, of course I'm doing my dishes. Like, Don't do your dishes anymore. Hire that out. Maybe it's an extreme example, but are you mowing your lawn? Are you cleaning your pool? Are you doing your laundry? Are you cleaning your house? Are you doing any of that stuff? If you are, that W2 seed money should be buying you all of that time back because you have a side hustle. If you're just gonna go watch Netflix, who cares? Don't, don't hire it out, be productive. But if you've got the side hustle and you're building real estate, like you will be amazed at how much you'll be able to spend time on task, dollar productive activities, how you'll be able to say like, wow, I always hear these people on podcasts talk about $1,000 tasks versus $20 tasks versus $100 tasks or whatever. You'll know what the, exactly what that means if you've got a real side hustle that you're building, you've got your clarity statement, you've got a new identity that you're building confidence toward, you've got a community holding you accountable, now get rid of all that stuff so that you can be a parent and a husband or wife, so that you can be a good employee for the people that are paying you for right now, and so that you can build your side hustle or your your uh, your, your business. That to me is the three C's: clarity, community, and uh, I'm sorry, clarity, confidence, community are the foundations of being able to get yourself out and then leverage that W two to hire out everything that's below, say, a hundred or two hundred or five hundred dollars tasks per hour.
0: Dude, I love all that. Thank you for the yeah the three C's and clarity, confidence, community. And then, yeah, once you get out, understanding value and disassociating time with money. That's a big thing. That was like a big aha for me. Uh, I think it was Garrett Gunderson was the first person I ever heard say this, but he said, money is the byproduct of value. Once you begin to understand that money is the byproduct of value, what you're talking about once you get out is over time, if you're doing it right, you've done it, I've done it. You've created enough value in your time where it's yeah. not even about the dollars, right? Like, because, you know, you and I could, tr- hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars an hour because the one thing that you say or the one thing, say, David Osborne would say to us, who's, you know, one of the the, the leaders in abundance, the creators of abundance, you know, his time is so valuable, he's going to drop a nugget that's going to probably make me or you millions of dollars. So, yeah. it's, you know, it's, anyway... The value that you're creating within yourself, that's a big shift, right? Because Great people point. put a salary, like they, they equate you with $400,000. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't make as much as you. I was making about roughly 125 to 150 sometimes a year. That was the, that was what they stamped me with. You know, this is what you are worth. So stepping out of that is like, Oh, I'm worth more than you can't put a dollar on me. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's really, really strange. Uh, when you, when you first step into that mindset, dude, I want to get into, um, I want to get into podcasting because we love podcasting, especially you love it more than I admittedly. Um, so I look up to you and your, your approach to podcasting, um, and building brand, especially a personal brand and reputation. So I have some geeky questions here that I want to ask, and I'm going to have to probably do a pre-roll for this because for every Go Bro who's listening to this episode, they're going to be like, I've heard Jamie story. I'm like, skip to 27 minutes where we get into what you really want to hear. Because I think that there's a lot of podcasters out there. There's a lot of people who do have shows now, especially within our GoBundance community that look up to you, that admire how you do things. And I want to kind of peel back the layers if
1: that's okay. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so... One of the questions that I had around what you've built and what you've created, because I've seen you, like I said, you evolve. You've gotten you so much better. Like you've figured things out. You're starting to unlock new doors. Um, you are. You interview a lot of people. You had Tom Bill you on stage recently. Um, mm-hmm. one of the questions around that is, uh, who has ever made you, if you've ever felt starstruck, like you're like, oh shit, I feel a little nervous here. Like who, nobody who did that to you. Like top of mind? nobody. No,
1: nobody. Not one. I, I, I. I... I would say that I, there's always a little bit of, especially the stage interviews, the stage interview, pod, like the live podcast. Like I had Tim, I, uh, Tom Bilieu, Jesse, Jesse Itzler, Exhibit, the Rapper was a live stage interview. Uh, and then I have Tim Grover coming up in, in Atlanta. Always before I go on stage, it's a little bit nerve wracking. We talked about this with stand up. Like a little bit before, I, I did stand up for a while. Like that first time, I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. But once I'm there, like I really, this is where you know purpose or what you were born for. Like I don't, the nerves go. Like, that's my domain. That's my spot. So there's never been a face on the other side of me that makes me nervous. There are there are people that are really smart, like Tom Billy is one of them, that are really challenging to wrangle in a certain time frame when you know you have a compressed time frame and mm. then you got to get to Q&A from the audience. That's stressful, but never been starstruck.
0: I love this. And I can only guess why you're not uh, nervous to to the degree where most people would be. I I imagine you would have some butterflies in terms of, like you said, you know, time frame, you know, pressure, you know, there, you know, backstage, all this stuff that's going on in your head. But I equate your lack of nervousness to preparation. Would would you Mm -hmm. say that's accurate? Like you're, you know, your guest.
1: A thousand percent. Better than they do in some cases. Yes. Yep. That preparation is my, that's my, that's my so simple, easy, but competitive advantage. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So let's let's unpack that a little bit. Um, Go for it. Because I know there was a time of Jamie Gruber that I've met where you're like, dude, I wasn't prepared for this You That 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 one, this one, that one. So to a degree, there was some nervousness there because you're like, oh shit, I don't know what I should know, and I know I could have been done. So what are some of the things that you've baked into your process to be so so good at, you know, being prepared and ready for these interviews?
1: Yeah. So I'll be really clear on this. Like I do two interviews a week, meaning I have two episodes that release a week. One of them is a Go, it's a GoBundance podcast, right? So it's my podcast, but it's, it's officially the sponsored by GoBundance podcast, if you will. The Tuesday episodes we put out are member episodes. Those are structured. There's seven questions. I mean, those I don't do a lot of prep for. I might just look up their, get their bio, but that's not a lot of work. But our Friday episodes are guests of prominence. I call them so people that are not members that have things to be researched. Sometimes the Tuesday guests, there's just, just a member that wants to kind of, hey, this would be cool. I get on the podcast or whatever. But the Friday guests, they do a lot of research. So, you know, I'll give you an example of, of recently. So I interviewed um, Stephen Kotler. Stephen Kotler's written 11 bestsellers. He's had nominated for three Pulitzers. He's the foremost expert in the world on the science of flow, He's written books like The Art of Impossible, Rise of Superman, Nar Country, and, and, and others so on peak performance and flow. So I read three of his books, in advance, I listen to about seven to 10 hours worth of podcasts of his. And then I'll go deep. I'll look back because, like, he's been around a while. I'll look back at nine, 10, 15, 20 year ago content so that I can compare where he was to where he is today. So that's number one. I just, I, 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 I just sort of like absorb. And I I keep a notes app in my phone. I just like, as things pop up, little prompts, little questions, just like at the gym, I'm listening, I'll just throw it in this notes app and then I can organize it later. So that's step one. It's just, I probably absorb 20 to 40 hours worth of content on a guest before I interview them. So that's number one. Number two is I'm looking for what's the first question? How do I, how do I, what's the first question I want to ask this person that's unique and different? And the way I try to structure questions, especially in that environment, is to package the bio And then ask the question beneath the question. Here's what I mean. A lot of podcast hosts will say, you know, Jesse Itzler, welcome. Let's real quick go back and get your whatever. Mm -hmm. Instead, what Jesse Itzler is known for, as an example, is, uh, was it NetJet that he sold to Berkshire Hathaway? I think it was NetJet. I'm forgetting that one. NetJet, uh, uh, Zico Water, he sold to Coca-Cola. And, um, he was a rapper at one point, he wrote the New York Knicks theme song. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but like Mm -hmm. he has, you know, he owns the Hawks. Like there's all these things that are, he's written two books with David Goggins and, uh, you know, uh, uh, living with a seal, living with a monk, right? So that all of that is, is his bio and too many hosts waste time asking the guests like that level guest, to unpack that stuff. So my approach is you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. And I go through. Like, I think the specific question I asked him was something like, you know, you, you, you have, you've written two books in this niche. You created netjet in this niche. You created whatever. I said, and then the question was, are you naturally a category creator? Or is it something that you're intentional with? Like, do you in, is it like mm-hmm. I can see the category, or is it just sort of happen for you organically? It takes the question a level, a level deeper. And I've heard like in that interview, a couple of people came over to me. They're like, wow, he was like taken aside, taken aback by your questions in the best way. Like you could see him having to think like he's never been asked that before. And he even said after, he's like, I've never gone through an interview like that before. So anyway, Mm -hmm. I consume a lot of content. I write down a whole bunch of notes. I craft the first question and I try to do it by summarizing bio and then ask a, a question that's a layer deeper than what's on the surface. And then from there, honestly, I've got 25 more questions I could ask. But I try to allow myself to be in that moment, listen, and then allow his answers to direct the next question after that. With that amount of preparation, like his answers are going to touch on things that I've already, I already know about. So I can further his response because of my preparation. So he might have a response that's interesting. And to the audience, it might be new. It might be a new thing that they never heard of from him before, right? But not only have I heard of that before, but I know seven different facts around that one thing. So I can pick that out. Right. I can pluck it and rather than just throw it back at them, like a lot of hosts would do and say, Oh, can you explain that more? It's that's interesting, specifically when you with David Goggins in the woods that one time, bop, 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 right? All these things I could bring up and then it, it, cre- it creates another deeper question. So I get that feedback a lot, like, wow, I love the depth of your questions. And I honestly tell you, I'm like, I don't really feel like it's that deep. But when I've unpacked it, that's all I do. I spend a lot of time preparing. Cracking the first question, bio summarized, and then allow myself to be curious for the rest of that interview. I hope sorry I didn't. I hope I didn't go too far on that.
0: <laughs> no, not at all, dude. I mean, this is this is going to be a, a clinic for for anyone out there who's just started podcasting, you know, or even been doing it for years. And 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 I would highly recommend if you haven't heard Jamie's show, uh, you know, Tribe of Millionaires, to listen to his approach, listen to how he asks questions, um, and and how he he gets elicits responses, um, which are, which are really uh, you, like you said, typically, the the holy grail for a uh, uh, podcaster is hearing, "Oh, no one's ever asked me that question before," and you get yeah. that a lot. Uh, which I do. is great. I do. It's um, really
1: cool. It's really cool. B-
0: which is the which is the result of doing the prep work, uh, which many of us don't want to do. Uh, I, I'll, I'll I'll turn myself in. I don't I don't put it anywhere near as as much research as you do. Um, So, but, but you get the good results. Have you ever had a guest where they were less cooperative or didn't feel comfortable, like basically a a great, a crappy guest? Like, how how do you respond to that if they don't even want to? And I wouldn't say he's less cooperative, but maybe...
1: Yeah, maybe, may, yeah, maybe a bad day. It wasn't even yes. And I've, I mean, I've had some of those yes and no answers, but you know, you know, like you can feel out when somebody's kind of there and where you should interject more and talk more and draw more out of them. Like that's, that's like, that's just experience gives you that as a podcaster over time. Like initially, like, oh, okay, next question. And then you figure out, okay, this is one I got to pick up the guest a little bit. They're nervous or, or whatever. I've had one or two of those even live. I remember I had a guy out of New York. I never released the episode because he was, He was stopping it. He had to like reset himself. This was in uh, you. You were the on-air brands hosted this, uh, not hosted this, but like put together the the. It was in Miami. I I forget the guy's name now. I don't want to call him out anyway. But he was so nervous and so panicked that he he was sweating and he stopped the interview four times to like reset. And I I I finished it, but then I just like he's not asking. I'm not. I'm just not going to release it. But Gay Hendrix. Gay Hendrix is um, an author. He wrote a book called The Big Leap uh, and also a book called. um, uh, Zone of Genius. Great, great books. A lot of people may have heard of the, the big leap. So I had him on and it was like my first big get. I actually got him from Richard Schuster, who I met in Park City, thanks to you. So podcasters, you know, share, share great guests with other podcasters, especially when they feel like they've been treated well on your podcast. There's a little tip. Richard was on mine. He loved the interview and he shared Gay Hendricks with me. So Gay Hendricks has been on dozens, hundreds of podcasts, interviews, all of that. He's amazing. So I, I got him. We're going to go on, you know, whatever. I asked one question and he rambled to like a point where I'm like, okay, I got to bring this home. But then he tangented, tangented. He went on a tangent and I'm like, all right, let him bring the tangent back to the original thing and then I can jump in. Mm-hmm. Then he went on another tangent off of that tangent. And I just found myself like, I- how do I stop this guy at this point? Like, I, I don't want to be rude and be like, well, okay, wait, 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 wait. We got to get back to where we were before. But it was just a it, there was good information in there. I think I got a total of two or three questions in for an entire hour, and it was just really hard to rein him in. And I've again, I've read his books, I listened to him on podcast. I thought I knew what to expect. Maybe he had a bad night. but that was a that was a tough, tough, tough interview, definitely. The other interview, real quick, I'll share this with you. I, I had this guy pop. So I was in Austin doing live interviews or in person interviews, and I had a cancellation. And the driver in my, of my of oh, who drove me is David Osborne's driver, and he says, "Hey, you're doing podcasts." I said, "Yeah, I just had a cancellation." He's like my friend Andrew Kibbe, he's got a huge brand on masculinity, and I look him up. He's got like half a million YouTube subscribers and a million Instagram followers. I'm like, "That's interesting. Yeah, let's 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 talk to him." So he comes in first 20, 30 minutes of the interview, he's actually asking me questions. Like it's, it's just this like Rogan-esque style, whatever. And then it pivots to him. I finally get kind of control of the interview and start asking him questions. He's, he's, a, uh, he's a Kenyan guy. He's moved here to the U.S. about two years ago. And he had two statements this, yeah. in there. One is women should never leave. And the second mm-hmm. is black people are cursed. And he's black. I was just mm-hmm. like, what do I say or do here? And we navigated the interview. I didn't release it for months and then eventually released it with a disclaimer. That interview got 200,000 views and mm. the comments on it were amazing. Like, I'm thinking they're going to be like, how dare you bring this racist, sexist bastard on there? But it was sort of Andrew Tate like it was mm. some of his points I get. He goes a little too far, but some of his points, base points da da da. So there was that interview that was a little bit tough.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I watched that interview and I think your experience, um, you know, just cumul- cumulative experience really benefits in those moments, right? Where yeah. you can kind of, you know not necessarily stay PC but just navigate through the waters where um you come out a little clean on it um but then still engage and 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 try to understand that's that the power that I think that you bring too is you have a genuine curiosity and and and, and want to understand the guest outside of what they've released out there like you have that opportunity there in person especially uh, one thing I want to highlight dude that you've done and I've seen you done this multiple times as we were like as you mentioned when we were uh, hosting a lot or helping go abundance with live live podcasting was you have this ability, and I think this is also like in a sales role or just a genuine human trait. Uh, you, you're interviewing Ryan surhant, and um, <laughs> I think like, you know, he's, he, there was a lot going on. Remember, there was a lot of people in the room. There was lights, there was cameras, <laughs> distractions, there was people taking this stuff. You, boom, laser focused, right? You, you, you can kind of like tune everything out, becomes blurred. As you're talking, you sensed something... At, and there's no exact science to this, but I just wanted to co- compliment you. You put your hand out and you put it on his hand or his leg or his knee or something. You're like, and you did it a few times. If anyone goes back and watches the interview, you did it a few times in the beginning yeah. and it calmed his nerves. Um, he, he remember he was kind of like giving you kind of just like the script. That's to me, one of the pet peeves in podcasting is you talk to someone who's kind of yes. famous they get, you're like, I've heard this before, bro. Like they go through the script and he was going through the script and
1: you were like, nah, no, no, we're, we're, we're getting off the script, bro.
0: And uh, you know, those couple of touches I think helped. Uh, do you, were, are you aware that you do that?
1: hundred percent. That is intentional. And, uh, and to your point, you know, like Ryan Stern has a great example. It happens, it so happens, he went to the same college as my wife. They were a year apart. They didn't know each other, mm. but it's a very small little liberal arts college in upstate New York, Hamilton College. No one's heard of it. Total enrollment, like 800. You know, it's a tiny college. So what a great discussion point or topic that we could talk about that goes off script. I remember finishing, because we talked about it, and, and and he was, he's in the chair, right? And when I asked him that question, he's talking about his role as Stanley in Streetcar and this, that, and the other. And the other thing I remember is we had a very tight timeline with him. We got 20 minutes, so we were told. You get 20 minutes, and then he went over to Jay Scott for 20 minutes, and then... Um, Oh, who was the other guy? Uh, There was another interviewer that came in and did 20 minutes with him. Mm -hmm. I could picture him right now. I just can't think of his name. Was it Jerome? Big black dude, ponytail. Jerome. Uh, Jerome. Jerome, thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Amazing guy. So he did 20, 20, and 20, 60 minutes total for podcast, and then he did his stage time. And it's funny, because I don't think he cared if we went over, but his team, the contract, Vayner Vayner speakers, whatever, they're very particular. I've learned Mm. that, even with Itzler. I thought Itzler was a dick based on his team
0: Mm. telling
1: me like, you don't do this, you do that. And he was like, whatever, man, I don't give a fuck. Do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll talk mm-hmm. for however long you want to. Same with Bill. You Like, you know, the team makes them seem way more needy than they actually are. Mm-hmm. But Serhan, yeah, I, I went into that with him, and I went through that interview, and I remember after the interview thinking, like, you know, I got a lot of kudos. Jay Scott came over. He's like, man, I, I had like a Wikipedia thing. Like you read his books. You did all this stuff. Jay was like annoyed almost in a good way. Like, you know, God, you're, you know, I got to sit. I got to go after that now and talk about his <laughs> investment strategy. But I, I, I remember finishing the interview and thinking like, ah, you know, because it was rushed. It wasn't my I couldn't like settle in for an hour, hour and a half like I like to that. It felt like I something was like he felt, you know, like Ryan Serhant was like, all right, can just get me out of this chair in my mind. I went back and watched it. And as, as just an observer, he genuinely enjoyed and appreciated the when we went off script, when we got mm-hmm. into his Hamilton College, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His college uh, uh, acting days. And mm-hmm. when we talked about some other things that were below the radar, elements from the middle of his book, you know, about a, like, I remember there was an apartment made up, made up in all these like gold flowers. And we talked about a little thing on that. And he goes, Okay, you prepared. I remember him, you can go back and watch. He says that like, wow, well, you're really prepared, right? But he really enjoyed that. And then I, and this isn't a knock. I saw the other interviews he did. And to your point, it was it was like a heartbeat for him. Just ding, bump, bump. Mm-hmm. There was no thinking for him. He could just kind of regurgitate. So I really, yes, when I touch him on the knee, when I make that human contact, I'm trying to like, hey, Here's where we are. Forget all this, and mm-hmm. he's not. I mean, he's in front of cameras, but you know, forget all this, and I don't need you to be on script here. Just let's go. Let's you and me have a connection here. So I do that a lot in person. I reach over. I I, I try to make the the energy in the room feel conversation. I just did it yesterday down here, my first live interview in the Dominican at a, at a studio I found uh, with a, an expat, a friend down here that's an entrepreneur. And same thing, man, like it started a little bit like he's never been on a podcast before, but he had a great story. And as it went, like the energy, me reaching over, da-da-da-da, it became a conversation. You forgot the mics were there. So yeah, no, that's very intentional. Thanks for noticing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, dude. It, it's... It's a powerful thing to, to be aware of and then also kind of do authentically. Um, if you can, if that's part of your personality, um, you know, especially podcasting, right? It's a, it's, it's, it's a really good way to make deeper connections and build that relationship with people. And I think in person, especially, um, you know, you you know how to take advantage, which is great. One thing I wanted to ask you, yeah. and as we, I know we have some time, um, so good. Um, we're able to get through my custom questions for you because these are not like I have the three segments of the show, but dude, I want to, I want to, I want to riff on this stuff. I want to jam with you on this stuff, podcasting
1: especially. You tell me when to be curt um, or not curt, but like succinct, and yeah. I'll be succinct. I promise.
0: No, nah, no, you're good. You're good. I, I love hearing you. Um, so you've developed this brand, right? And as you have been growing your sort of, I'll call it a podcast personality, even though you are who you are, like what we hear yeah. is what we get. Um, but you are intentional uh, as well. I'm sure you you have that awareness who in the beginning, if anything, and even today, do you look up to in terms of, it doesn't have to be a podcaster. It could be an interviewer, you know, Howard Stern doesn't have a uh, podcast, you know, like just, you know, Barbara Walters, whoever, who is someone that you look up to? Who is someone that you've kind of followed? And then like, maybe on a subconscious level, it became part of your DNA
1: I love the energy of Rogan. Always love the energy of Rogan. Just casual chit chat, all of that stuff. Jordan Harbinger pops up. So, and, and, and pretty much I'm going to list podcasters. So Jordan Harbinger pops up. I really like, um, his preparation. He was on the show and we talked about that, how he's similar. He, his, his advantage, competitive advantages. He's a, a voracious prepper for his podcast guests. And I, I do the same. So that's a guy that I've always admired for that. Like, okay, I see what a pro does, right? A pro really dives in and 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 digs in on the guests, and and you know, when you see that, you know, wow, the guest is the guest sounds a little bit different than anything else I've heard or whatever. That's because of the prep. Even even if it's even if there's nothing different that I'm doing or even questions I'm asking don't sound all that different, there's a a clear signal to the person when they get the they get the uh, when they can sense that you prep for them, like really prep for them. That person opens up more. So Harbinger's one. The problem with the Harbinger's, the Joe Rogan's, the John Lee Dumas's, the people that have been doing this for a long time that we all admire and have been doing it forever and are big names, Howard Stern, um, people like that. The problem with modeling them for me is that they do have the additional advantage of having been OGs in the space. They started way, way long ago and they've got a dozen, 15, 20 years, you know, from the very beginning. It's, it's almost like it's almost like trying to compare to David Osborne, you know, who who had two crises, two, two, two recessions that he could buy after. And he's and he's blown up his net worth. Like, it's like I, he's just too far apart from where I am. So the two podcasters that I've really, really three, two and and going on number three right now, the two that I really like to watch are Chris Williamson, Modern Wisdom, And Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO. And the reason is they've figured out two things. One is how to grow in long form interview formats, even though it's somewhat saturated in this market within a few years. Now, they've had a podcast for a little bit, but in the last two, three years, they've blown up and they're, and they maybe had a podcast for a year or two before that, right? Like they have consistent growth. They're not fully baked still, but they're, they seemingly are millions of followers, millions of listens and downloads per month and all of that stuff. So that's one. Two is they've figured out that listenership audio is still king in podcasting and it's more reliable in terms of subscriber growth and download growth. It's more of a, of a steady climb viewership on YouTube is the next frontier. But it's way more variable in terms of people still following and and wanting to absorb your podcast in that medium, right? But what they do with YouTube, what they're intentional about with YouTube is I know that if I can get virality here, it dumps people over here on the video, on the audio side. So if I can get them to watch, like if if one of five pop or one of 20 pop on YouTube, then I'm going to be able to get those a, a number of people to come over to be listeners and then hold them because most people listen in the gym or whatever it might be. So they figured that out. So I like studying those two. Lex Friedman is the other example of that. But Lex Friedman is really unique. He's just unique in his style and what he does and how he asks questions. Some of his questions are very basic, very simple. But Lex Friedman comes at it more from an opinion. He's a smart guy. So he's formulated an opinion. He asks the question curiously. And then you'll hear if he agrees, disagrees. Williamson and Bartlett are much more like I just want to learn from you. I just want to, I want to hear from you, right? They'll have an opinion, but not like Lex Friedman does. So those three have kind of figured out those two things. Cutting through the, the three of them, there's a guy named Tim Schmoyer. He's not a podcaster, but he's a YouTuber who does a really great job. He has a really good course, a 30-day YouTube course that I just recently took. It's like 150 bucks. Chris Williamson recommended it, not directly, but in a podcast I listened to of his. And he was right. It's packed with information. It's well laid out. And it really does help you get get an idea of how you should be leveraging YouTube. So again, long answer. But I think those like if if you're if as a newer podcaster, two, three years in, who's looking for listener growth, whose dream is to have a million plus download a month podcast that monetizes and I could just do that. I don't have to worry about selling anything. I could just do that. I want to le- I want to lean in on who are the people who have done it recently. I don't I, Rogan and, and Howard Stern have other advantages at this point. They did it in their day, but I want to know like who started like in the last three four years? Pandemic start and has blown up. And how did they do that? So those are the guys. Those three: Friedman, Bartlett, Williamson, that I follow now.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, all great shows. I, I haven't uh, dove into Williamson stuff, so but I, but I will. Uh, we'll put all this in the show notes, guys. Um, I have some more podcast questions, and as as we see, this might be a two parter, brother. Uh, since since we we haven't hit the other hallmarks of the I'm show. I'm sorry, man. No, 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 dude. <laughs> this is great. No, this dude. This is because you and I talk a lot, but we don't really jam on this much. Uh, we do to a degree, but not like deep. And, and I feel like I'm I've inceptioned. You know, I, I'm in. <laughs> I'm three levels in, and I'm like, cool. I like where we're at. So no, no worries, dude. Um, so so let's say. Uh, Bundance, you know, they sell to Tom Bilyeu, they they sell to Itzler, they sell to someone, right? And they're like, hey, Jamie, we love you, but, you know, Tom's our dude, you know, he's going to be the host of the show. Uh, We're going to call it something else anyway, but we love and respect you. But yeah, you're free to go do your own thing. What does your own thing look like? How different would the Jamie Gruber show be, if at all?
1: Um, it would be different. There it would be uh, one, I think I would, I would skew to live interviews versus, and we're starting to do more with, with tribe millionaires, but there's a mix of live and, and, um, there's a mix of live and there's a mix of, of, of virtual. So I would skew to live. I'd probably release three to five episodes a week. I'd start with that. It's harder, I think, once you once you've gotten a cadence of once a week to then add. It's just, it, I think, people are like, oh, what's that? What happened here? But I'd start with that cadence. So I'd do more episodes per week. They would be longer form interview, so that would be the same. It would give me more license to do things that are not that are here. So Tribe of Millionaires, like I named it that. It was called the GoBundance podcast, mm-hmm. an unintentionally public podcast. It was meant to be an internal podcast when Pat hosted it. And then, you know, it started to get some listenership. So and he didn't want to do it anymore. So I took it over and I'm like, well, GoBundance doesn't make sense. But Tribe of Millionaires, like oh, I can get down with that. But it does pin you down a little bit to making sure that the audience is getting content that's like around entrepreneurship or business or real estate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like a recent episode I did was a guy named Michael Finkel, who's the author of a book called The Art Thief, which is a true story of a guy who stole $2 billion worth of art in the late 90s, early 2000s in France. Really fascinating. Love the book. And I want to talk to the author. What better way to do that than on a podcast? The book is like number three on the New York Times bestseller list at this point. It's behind uh, uh, Prince Harry and who's the rocker? Paul McCartney's books. Paul McCartney, Prince Harry, and then Michael Finkel with The Art Thief, right? Mm. Like great book, big book. It's blowing up. I have him on. That interview is amazing because of his story generally. Like he was, he was impersonated by a murderer who he then, you know, met in person and, and interviewed and made a book out of that. And that book became a movie where he was played by Jonah Hill and the murderer was played by James Franco. And that's just like mm-hmm. part one of his story. Then we get into the middle part where he found this hermit in the woods in Maine who didn't speak to a person for 27 years, but got arrested for uh, incredible. And then The Art Thief. So amazing interview, but where's the tie into entrepreneurship? So I felt this need mm. to tease out, to associate some things to the show name. The Jamie Gruber Show wouldn't worry about that. It would be, Josh Dorkin a few years ago had a podcast he called like Undeniably Undeniable. Curious, yeah. like something like that. Mm-hmm. And he, he stopped after like 10 episodes. Like that would be the theme. I think I call it The Jamie Gruber Show because I, you know, I think names are becoming more of a thing now. Like For a while, it was like, don't call it your name. I think it's okay now to call it your name, even if you don't have a huge following. Mm-hmm. But I would be more that. Just like interesting conversations, as long as they take an hour, five hours, three hours, four hours, it will be that. I wouldn't feel the pressure of relating it to entrepreneurship or business. That would be the difference.
0: I love it. Yeah. I'm with you on the Jamie Gruber Show. Uh, the way that sounds, looks Um so speaking of sounds, looks, and I want to go down this rabbit hole and then we'll, we'll attempt to land this bird with, with some of the, uh, you know, like I this said, home show. I enjoy it. So yeah. yeah, keep going. <laughs> it's great. And I still haven't gotten, man, no one's asked me that yet. So maybe it'll be this one. <laughs> but hey, it's the year 2033. What does Jamie Gruber look like? What does he sound like? What does he do for a living? What has he accomplished?
1: By the way, the last go? four questions I've never heard before, just so you know really? So these are all, all these questions i I've oh. never gone down this rabbit hole. Oh, and awesome. I love podcasting I love you you said it recently on one of our pod calls there's like there's different ways of pod... like you are you are the business of podcasting right on air brands right. you run a production company that's your that's where you are. you love podcasting, but that's the business. Uh, a guy on our pod, Matt, he is like the process of podcasting. So his podcast uh, structure is volume and how that volume leads to relationships or a sales funnel. Mm -hmm. I I have a sales funnel, but mine is the art of podcasting. Like that's where my love is. And that was you that said that. That wasn't, that's not my, that you actually made that clear to me. Like, oh, that's, that's great. That gave me a sense of identity within the podcasting space. So thank you for that. 2033. So 10 years from now, I don't know what I don't know in terms of what the next medium is. Okay. Okay. But and I don't want to get ahead of the questions. But there's there's a the questions that you have toward the end. But there's a a an, a an epiphany I had not long ago doing what what I call a solo weekend. So every once a quarter or so, I try to go away for a weekend on my own to a hotel or somewhere. Just I have an intention I set for that three days. I go in with the idea of like just decomping, getting not decomping but like detoxing from social media and my phone and all of that stuff. And as I go into the weekend with the intention in mind, some meditation practices, journaling. Scribbling at first, and then it becomes kind of clear throughout the weekend, like where I am versus my intention. One of the things that was clear to me was like my my life's purpose that I thought and I would articulate was to inspire and motivate others to live their best life. I've learned that that's my mission: to inspire and motivate others to live their best life. My purpose and the way in which I can do that is to be seen, is to be seen by others, is to be visible, is to be a, a public figure. Like that's my purpose, to be seen in, to, to whatever audience that might be. By being seen, I'm then able to inspire and motivate others to live their best life. Very egotistical feeling. And I journaled this out. I even shared that sense in the middle of that from my solo weekend. I shared it on social with people. But at the same time, it's like, well, my ego can be satiated. That's okay. And at the same time, uh, I, can, I can actually be helping people. So if I feel good about me, and that's the ego, but it's also the best way that I can help people, then what a great way to be. So in 2033, I don't know what the medium is, but let's assume it's 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 some form of podcasting. I've said my next vision is that I create such a valuable platform that the top names and presidential candidates are requesting to be on mine, as opposed mm. to me looking to get them. That's my vision. That's what I want. I want to be when when Robert Kennedy says, I'm running for office, whoever that is in 10 years, They say, all right, I got to get on the shows. So put me on Rogan, Friedman, Williamson, Bartlett, and Gruber, Mm -hmm. for instance. That's Mm -hmm. what I want. I want to be somebody who is known as, like this guy will absolutely add value through his natural gift of curiosity and his intense preparation. And I need to be in that environment to get my message out. He's got a great listener base, loyal followers. That sounds terrible, but you get my point. Like loyal followers in terms of listeners, they love what he puts out. He adds value to others. I w- I need to be on his so one of the twenty or twenty five whatever it is top shows that the the biggest names when a book comes out or a movie comes out or or they're running for president I got to get on twenty podcasts Jamie Gruber's got to be one of those twenty that's my that's my objective that's what twenty thirty three looks like I love it dude and
0: plenty of time to get there uh, plenty of us to help support and 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 you know manifest that dream for you definitely I think that's that's a that's a doable dream uh, to me. Um, I know, I know in our, our private talks, you know, you always, you know, made it very clear, you know, like I, I want, I want to, I'm all in on podcasting and, and not necessarily yeah. the term podcasting. Like you said, it's, it's a medium and it's a platform and an opportunity for others to be really leverage what you've built. Um, you know, so it's, it's great, dude. I love it. Um, I'm with you and I think people who are listening will help. And support that as well, since you're making it very clear. So let's ju- let's jump into. Uh, I'm going to jump back into the lane, and we're going to get into the one of the final segments of the show called "Embrace the F Word," meaning failure. So, any story or lesson learned that you could share with us, greatly appreciate it, brother.
1: Yeah, in terms of failure. So, first and foremost, I think what you were talking earlier about the the corporate versus entrepreneurial route, and I think failure is one of those things that if you go the traditional route like most of us here and you go to you know elementary school, high school, college, corporate, right? Like that whole, that whole route. Failure is a red F on a page. Failure is mm-hmm. bad. Failure is a negative. Failure is not something you're supposed to do. You are an F student. You are a failure. It's an identity that's placed on you by this structure. Getting into corporate life, it's the same thing. Follow the process. Well, what if I have a better process? Better work, because if you fail then that's a problem. You violated our process. Failure, failure, bad, bad. You go the entrepreneurial route. Failure is a a, a piece of the recipe. It's necessary. Like cake requires sugar, eggs, flour, right? Like success requires, you know, risk failure, yada, 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 right? Failure is just part of the recipe. Real estate terms. My biggest failure that I can remember, not biggest, but a big failure of mine was we bought our first two burrs and we estimated the rehab cost about $35,000. The rehab cost ended up being like $80,000. So like double plus whatever we, we estimated. And how did I estimate the rehab cost? It was like, well, it can't be more than this for that. Can't be more than this for that. Let's even add in a few extra thousand for that. Like pff, 35 grand. Like, yeah, we got more than enough. Like it was back of the napkin. I wasn't even, it wasn't even something I wrote down or got contractor estimates on. My dad knows what he's doing. He walked through it with me and we came up with a, a budget plus fluff. And then we were half wrong, right? Like we were wrong by double plus. Wow. So after that, after that, it was like, okay, why was I wrong by double plus? Well, I want to be a real estate investor to get out of my day job. Like that's it. I, I love this bigger pockets thing. And yeah. Buy a hundred doors, $10, a hundred dollars a door and 10,000 a month at that, all that shit. Right. But what was clear to me was like, I don't, I don't like operations. I, I don't want to operate real estate. Like I love the idea of what it does. I love buying it and passive income. I mean, we all love that, but I don't want to run it. I, I just, it's not who I am. I don't want to be that guy. So that. Failure of underestimating rehab costs led to me saying, "I gotta fill my my skill gaps in with other people," which opened the door to partnerships. So my first partner, we bought a sixteen and a twenty-two unit together. He's ops; I'm more on the you know I, I interactive side, you know that kind of thing. Uh, I partner with Quantum Capital uh, to, to to syndicate, and we've syndicated a few hundred doors now in the last couple of years, last year or so. You know, I am on the investor relations capital raising side. I don't deal with operations. I'm aware of what's going on. Of course, I'm a general partner. Uh, I know the deals before we go into them. I got to get on board with it and say, yes, I agree with doing this deal and then sell that deal to an investor, if you will. But I'm not in the day-to-day. We have a guy for that, two guys that deal with the operations and asset management side of things. So the failure was was seemingly like, oh my God, I've just committed and gone down this whole lane of, I'm getting out of this $400,000 a year job to be this real estate investor. And I don't want to do the things that a real estate investor does. <laughs> but what it made me do was realize the power of partnership and realize that there are different roles that mm. we all have and different <laughs> skills that we all have that we can bring to others to add value to them while also getting value by being partnered with them.
0: I love it. I love it. Dude, you're speaking, you know, my experience. Exactly. Um, so funny. Um what you pointed out when I was on your show, you're like, dude, this is, we're gonna bore yeah. the audience because that's my story. <laughs>
1: you're basically saying same, the same right, stuff. Right, right. It's coming. To- <laughs> but,
0: but yeah, I totally, totally quick aside, Like
1: right now in podcasting, right now in podcasting, we added that second show and we've seen a dip in listenership, a decent dip in listenership. And that's, for me, feels like a failure. So just for whatever it's worth adding to that right now, we're trying to, I'm trying to figure out, we, I am trying to figure out like, what's the right thing to do? And I think what I'm coming around to is like, just let it lie for a minute. You just added the second episode. You gave me this advice, like let it go a month, two, three months. Let your listener base pick up and figure out your new cadence and all of that. But I want to do, I want to action. I want to, you know, like uh, get in there and make it happen. Like five episodes, ah, we're going to, you know, whatever. Um, So that's right now. I feel like I'm failing in the thing I love most, but at the same time, trying to be present and recognize, hey, it's a season. You've just made a change. Mm -hmm. Um, Calm down. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, it's if we put it into real estate terms, you know, you acquired a hundred unit, you know, and, and there's you know forty percent needs to be evicted, you know, you got to get it up to market, right? And then like you're yeah, feeling you like you learn a, more like, after you close. Yeah, right? you got to yeah. rebrand the property. You, like there's all sorts of stuff going on, but you know the one year, two year vision is like you're going to get it fully occupied or you know close to, and then point. you know it takes time to let these things. Like you said, it's a season, and you're 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 viewing the failure while you're in it. Uh, at the early stage of the process. Um, but yeah, yeah. But anyway, I'm not here to, to offer any coaching advice. I'm here to just... That
1: <laughs> no, <it> was good <laughs> though. We were talking... <laughs> it, again, look, this is, this is your gift. You do have a way... I think, I think when people have a, a label for something that they're feeling, you feel better. Like when I first heard the term imposter syndrome and what that mm. meant, it was like, oh, this is a thing? This is like, mm. you know, other people deal with this? This isn't like uniquely me feeling like I'm a piece of shit and not enough. Like all of us deal with that. Like there's a term for it. Oh, thank God. Thank God. I'm not the piece of shit I thought I was. And you do a good job with that. Like I said, um, you need your audience to catch up. That was your advice. Something you said earlier, I mentioned was your advice that made it really clear for me. And just now, even just saying what you said, that's a great, that made my mind go, I'm not, I'm not agreeing and nodding my head. Like, yep, you're exactly right, Eric. I'm agreeing and nodding my head. Like I hadn't thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. And God, that makes me feel better. Cause you're right. It is like buying a property. It, it, goes down and then you have your J curve after it goes back up after, and you know, that's coming, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make the interim pain yeah. any easier. Like you still get that urgency, but it, but that's a great way of putting it. So I appreciate that coach. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely brother. And I appreciate you, man. And I appreciate the time that we're spending together um, outside of even this podcast. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for everything you do, not just for me personally, but for the community and go abundance, you know, for people outside of the community um, I want to I land this bird, so to speak, and bring it home to the final question of the day for us. And I'm sure we can keep going and on and on and on. Um, but I am attempting to make this a one-parter episode. <laughs> so we're still within the hour reach. Is um, In one word, brother, how do you help people?
1: I, I mentioned it before. I'll, I'll condense it down. I had two words or three words, but I'll make it one word. And it's seen, seen, um, visible. I You know, something along those lines. But it is really, it really is, um, it was such a freeing thought. It felt weird to say and think about, but it's like, that's it. You know, when I'm not sure I should put out a piece of content or is this a good enough podcast for everybody? Like inevitably, and you probably had this happen as well. It's so funny when you feel the least impactful is when that random message from that random person who you've never heard of before comes through and says, Hey, I've been following you for a while. I don't really engage on social or you never, you've never heard of me, but I just wanted to let you know this episode, this piece of content really impacted me. I love what you do. Keep it up. Like, I don't know that that happened to you. That happens to me all the time where when Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like, all right, I'm in a, I'm, I'm speaking into a vortex here. Like nothing is, nothing's landing. Why am I even, I'm just out here. I'm an echo chamber. Somehow, some way the universe delivers something, which is more evidence for me to say, just be seen. Seen, so that one word of just being visible, being out there, getting on podcasts, doing podcasts, getting on social, putting stuff out there—whether I grow or don't grow with my followers, the the vanity metrics doesn't matter. Put it out there. It's it's helping somebody believe that and keep going. So being seen, yeah, seen. Sorry, one word, seen.
0: Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> dude. Um, it's 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 really the, the the true way to connect to people. Um, and 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 I think there's a piece of it that you're saying here is that when you're seen. Um, you're also heard, right? And then also when you're being heard, you're, you're, you're getting some sort of validation and also, uh, an understanding from the other side, you know, like, and we, we, you and I are both very similar in that where we want to understand people and we also want people to understand us. So once that synergy starts to happen, then we can go do things. We can go build things. We can go create, uh, and, and be bigger than ourselves. And like you said, partnerships, you know, come from that. Um, a lot yeah, and I love of this question too. To Evan
1: Evan Carmichael wrote a book called um, "Built to Serve," which is about finding purpose. And he he the book wa- walks you through getting down to one word. What's your word, right? So what I love about scene for me is there's a lot of words that subordinate that, or that are subordinate to it, that are just natural and they come along if seen. Like I think these are things that I embody authentic, that helps people, inspire, that helps people, vulnerable, that helps people. Like, these are all things that I have. Those are all other really good words that I could use to answer that question. How do I help people? So when people are thinking about that one word, I like to think like, what's the, what's the highest order word? Like the other ones become assumed as long as I, so as long as I believe and I, I think I am, I'm true to myself, I'm authentic, I'm vulnerable, here's where I mess up, here's where I'm really happy, I'm proud of myself, yeah, I did this, yeah, it's really cool what I did. All of that comes, vulnerability, authenticity, inspiration, motivation, those words that help people all come and they're subordinate to just simply taking that energy and being seen with it. I could do all of that in my own house and nobody sees it. So seen is the highest and best use.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you live it. You know, you live that mantra, you live it every day, you 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 lead by example. So yeah, it's great, dude. I appreciate that. I appreciate everything that you shared with us today. Um and and just for the record, folks, if you missed it, he said that uh he he, he hasn't been asked that question four times. So there's
1: <laughs> just yeah. <for> the <laughs> he, Never you know, been asked about it. podcasting in depth like that. I love yeah. it, man. I'm, I mean, I'm not even joking. Like, I loved that part of this interview. Sorry if I went long on it, but that is that you, you, you dipped into a place nobody ever has gone before, yeah, and I, I really, really enjoyed I, that.
0: I wanted to, I wanted to go there with you. I wanted to Inception. You know, let's let's get onto the what was the deepest level in that movie was uh the, the snowing. I think they were on like a oh, ski thing. That that's where we were. Great movie. I, come
1: on, dude, it's a great movie. But uh I've seen it, but I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I. I. Yeah. 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 It was confusing for me.
0: <laughs> Watch it again, dude. We went in there though and uh I wanted to I wanted to unpack a lot of stuff that um I admire you for and I think we got there and hopefully the audience appreciated as well because you are often the one asking the questions. So I wanted to be the guy for you um uh, to ask the questions. It. Yeah, yeah. All right, brother. So thank you so much. What is the best way people can reach and also get in touch to potentially do something
1: together? Yeah. Find Tribe of Millionaires on all platforms. Uh, take, you know, Subscribe, I appreciate that. Take a listen, give us a review. Uh, personally on social, I'm most active on Instagram at the Jamie Gruber, at the Jamie Gruber on Instagram is the best way to reach out. DM me there.
0: By the way, did you know that you have a net worth of 15 million according to Google? But it's- Come on. An, it's another Jamie Gruber. Spelled with oh, J- I was gonna say, a- is that real? I- I- M- e- yeah, dude, like I, I googled you and it <laughs> said, uh, what one of the second question that was asked, uh, you know, like aside from who is Jamie Gruber, what is Jamie Gruber's net worth? So I went there and it said 15 million. And then as I started looking, I was like, uh, heh. and then I started going down, I was like, acting, TV, movies, and I realized, oh, this is a lady he has got a net worth of fifteen million? This one, supposedly,
1: this one says two hundred fifty thousand. Two hundred fifty thousand, and it says I'm known for my work on Zombie Strippers, Benjamin Troubles, yes, and Flight of the, the Living Dead.
0: That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's the Jamie <laughs> Groover that people find. When and it's J-A-I-M-E.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good point. It's not me. Wow. I gotta find fifteen yeah. million. I want to be known for fifteen million. Not there yet. <laughs> that's great.
0: But thanks, brother. Uh, I look forward to our next conversation, man. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you. That's it for now, folks. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can contact me directly at eric at onairbrands.com. That's Eric, E-R-I-K, at onairbrands.com. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast podcast